All right. Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast and the YouTube video. I'm your host, Steve Fredland. And as always, we are sponsored by Running Aces Racetrack and Casino. And we are on episode 114. And a couple of quick announcements. Uh, the Play and Learn, uh, for those of you guys interested in that, it's still happening. I've taken it off the site just because it's a little easier to manage. We're trying to uh, manage the numbers to make sure we have exactly one or two tables. So if that's something interesting to you, uh, hit me up. And we are still doing that January 26th. Uh, if you're interested in joining our weekly community discussion groups, uh, they're just free uh, Monday nights, 8 to 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We just get together and chat about different hands, and we've been talking about bet sizing and c-betting and all of those different things. So join us for that if you just want to uh, improve your game that way. And if you don't want to talk, that's fine, too. Just hang out and, and listen to the conversation. Uh, thank you, uh, Jill Burke. Ran into you at Running Aces. Got the sweatshirt on. Uh, that was really fun to see. Uh, so thanks for repping the brand that way. And just uh, congratulations, Running Aces Player of the Week. We're going to start uh, mentioning these folks. So the top four that got some tournament lammers because of their, their finish, Robert Carl, Roman Ryan, Dave Cramber, and William Reuter. So congrats to you guys. And uh, this episode, now we are joined by the great Chad McVean from Canada, the great Derek Smith from, I don't even know what server Derek's in, but from Minnesota. Uh, they're part of the rec crew that's going to be uh, the hammering our resident expert or our rotating expert with some questions. And this week, I'm excited. Uh, Brian Soja, who is a, a longtime friend of the Rec Poker Podcast. He's been a friend of uh, the All In For Africa charity tournaments that I've done that's tied to the, the humanitarian work that we're doing in Rwanda. Uh, looked him up on the Handed Mob. I know Brian, we'll get into this a little bit maybe, but uh, this last year, he finally had a chance to play more. He's been uh, doing a lot of stuff with his kids and those things. Uh, and this year, it just turned in a fantastic year. He won the pot of gold at Running Aces in March, 23000 bucks. He took second at Running Aces Anniversary Tournament in July, 25000 bucks. Two weeks later, he takes down the MSPT in Iowa for about 95000 bucks and a ton of other caches. So uh, Brian's just had an amazing year and uh, quickly climbing the ranks of the all-time money list for Minnesota players. I know he doesn't like to brag, so I'm going to do that for him. Uh, but hes uh, I, I would call him a dangerous but strategic player. Uh, likes talking about LTO strategy, which is luck theory optimal. Uh, he was <laughs> voted Mr. Nice Guy a couple of years in a row at the Minnesota Poker Awards. Uh, the only downside so far that I've found about Brian is that he just loves the Patriots. Yeah, uh, I and, knew that was coming. So and, and, well, I mean, his, his Twitter handle is at MNPatsFan. So just – you know, this is really problematic, and I think we're talking to him on the wrong week uh, if we want to have any semblance of sanity here. But uh, everybody, uh, just welcome my friend and friend of the show, Brian Soja. Brian, welcome, man. Thank you, Steve. It's always a, a pleasure to, you know, work with you on the Rec Poker podcast, uh, help with your rec training, uh, rec poker training, the community group on Monday nights. I, I try to pop in on that as much as I can, too. So uh, you've done a really great thing here you know, starting small with just the local community base, but then growing it uh, beyond, I think, even what you thought it would, it, it could have been uh, way back when this all started. So uh, you said episode number 114. And it's funny, I'm like, have I really listened to and been on, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, Oh, my gosh, that's, it's amazing to think about that. So thank you for having me. It's always an honor. Yeah, we've, we've covered a lot of ground. And you know, I just started this thing because I was out of a selfish motivation. I was looking for a podcast that would talk strategy for the live tournament recreational player that wasn't just a couple of guys talking about their weekend. And uh, and it's just been fun, just been fun to see it grow. And it's pretty much a selfish endeavor because I get to chat with people like this panel and people like you and pick your brains and, and try to become a better player. So I appreciate your 
your graciousness. We're not paying Brian to come on the show. We're not paying him to be part of this thing or any of our folks. Uh, it's just people that are uh, willing to give back to the community in, in, a, in an excellent way, and it's greatly appreciated. So let's uh, – hey, Rob Washam has joined us. Hey, Rob. Hey, how's it going, guys? I saw the top of your head there for a moment, so I knew it was you. <laughs> yeah. It's all this hair, I'm sure. Right. All right. Well, well, Brian, uh, you know, we, we have about 40 minutes or so, so I want to give you an opportunity to kind of get right into uh, at least the first hand that you brought with us to, to go through. Okay. Um, so tonight, I, I, on kind of short notice, I just pulled out a couple of hands that um, really talk about um, the different ways we can either benefit or get ourselves in trouble uh, from either paying close attention at the table or not paying close attention. Um, so the first hand really uh, gets into how I was able to uh, make a, a fairly difficult call on the river just because I had been paying attention to how this person had been playing all day. Uh, this is from the Running Aces Anniversary Tournament uh, back in 2014, um, I believe. It's uh, fair, It's not like super late on day one, but I mean, we've been playing already for like five, five six hours. Uh, blinds are 400, 800. There's an, a 100 ante. Um, I'm under the gun plus two, uh, and I have the Ace of Diamonds and the Ten of Hearts. Now, Ace of Diamonds, Ten of Hearts, from fairly early position, I, I generally, a lot of how I play that hand is going to depend on table dynamics. Um, and I think that that's something important to cover in this spot, because to this point, I hadn't really accumulated a whole lot of chips um, in, a, in a kind of a day one main event scenario. Um, back then, the anniversary tournament, you started with 15,000 as opposed to the now 20. It was a 10 plus 5, whereas now it's a 15 plus 5. Um, and so I had built it up to 40,000-ish uh, at this point. But my table, uh, you know, I, I was under the average age of the players at my table by about 10 years. Um, it was just a very tight, difficult table. You, it was going to be very difficult for you to accumulate a lot of chips um on any given hand generally when big hands happened it would be cooler scenarios you'd have you know top set versus or bottom set versus top two or aces versus kings or something of that nature so um really really just kind of a tight straightforward kind of that stereotypical older um table and so where i had accumulated pretty much all of my chips uh to that point had really just been uh opening pre-flop, getting a call or two, and then regardless of what the flop would bring, uh, I would fire out a C-bet and generally take it down. Uh, if I got any resistance and I didn't have a hand, then I was never putting any more money in at that point, and I would generally lose that showdown. So, so ace, the ace reason I bring off, that... So ace and offsuit in that spot felt like a profitable play versus in other situations it might be something you just you just fold. Yeah, ace ten offsuit. If I'm if I'm at in a, a fairly a, you know a, a kind of a balanced table where there's you know myself and it's fun, you know someone like Max for instance or Ryan Hohenstein or you know another kind of young gun fairly aggressive player, I'm pro I I may just fold ace ten kind of depending on where everybody's sitting, um, but oftentimes I'll I'll break one of my own cardinal rules which is never flat. Uh, pre-flop and I'll flat with it mm. um, 
just because then it gives me kind of the opportunity to have some showdown value when someone who's aggressive is in in late position, the cutoff or the button, and they look down at, you know, a six, a seven offsuit or something like that and decide to open the blinds fold and then I can call and we get into a fairly large size pot on an ace high board and they have no idea that I, that I actually had something that, that much stronger than them. So, um, but in this scenario, uh, against that table and kind of going with how I had accumulated chips to that point, um, making, you know, basically a two X, slightly over two X raise, uh, to 1700, excuse me, seemed like the, the profitable and, and right decision at that point. And is, is that a pretty standard open for you, the, the, just the 2X plus 100 sort of thing? Or was that, is that also adjusted for your table dynamics? It's, it's a little bit of both. Um, generally, I'm going to be two and a half or less. Um, and in a scenario like this where I am going to get a lot of just kind of taking the pots down as soon as the flop comes out and I continuation bet. There's not really any incentive for me to risk anything more than a two X plus a hundred uh, 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 open here. Uh, Cause if my opponent does hit the flop hard, they're going to let me know right away. And I'd rather save those extra chips. The, the, you know, two X to two and a half X to three X, none of that's going to matter. Um, as far as, changing how my opponents are going to play uh, against me at that point. They're just playing their hands straightforward. It's a very ABC table. So I can make an open and have it be at the smallest end of that range and save myself chips when I miss and they hit. Because you don't think you have any more fold equity with 3X than you do at 2.1 or whatever? No. Okay. okay. They're, they're playing very straightforward. And if they have something that they want to play, they're going to play it. And if they don't, they're not going to, it doesn't matter how much or how, you know, what kind of odd pot odds they're getting. Okay. And I failed to mention this earlier too. The other player, uh, the other rec players too, make, make sure if you have questions, just go ahead and chime in. Uh, right, Brian, we can interrupt you all we want, yeah. right? <laughs> all yeah. right. Well, all right, thanks. Cut me off. I, I get sick of hearing my own voice. So that way I'm not the only annoying person that's derailing your train. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, okay. So um, I make it 1700 uh, and it kind of, as it's been going all day, uh, everybody folds until it gets to the blinds. Uh, the small blind is the only person at the table who has me covered. He has about 50,000. Um, he's, uh, I, I, I don't want to get into names, but he's a, if, if you play fairly regularly, uh, especially at running aces and the bigger tournaments and even the double sack sometimes, um, even though he's older, he, he's always in there. Uh, and sometimes he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder towards me. Um, so that may also come into play on this, which I, mm. I don't think I mentioned in the write-up that I sent to you, but, um, again, he's not going to typically get too out of line. Uh, but he, where he got his chips, uh, was from, uh, making big check raises when he would flop sets and that'll become important here shortly. Um, and then the big blind, um, who's at the point was about 70 years old, uh, playing ABC like the rest of the table. Um, he's down to, he only has 20 K, uh, but he also makes the call. So, uh, so Brian, can I ask you a question there? Um, yeah. you know, just the, this whole observation of, of other players is something I'm not very good at. I mean, I, well, I can I observe it, but I don't retain it as well. Um, you know, so you're, you're saying, you know, you're noticing the stuff about the players. Are you actually putting away things like, man, I noticed they check raised a, a set or I noticed that, I mean, so, so you can actually 
put that away and remember those specific situations? Or are you saying he check race sets, so therefore I kind of classify him as this sort of a player? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there, there's a difference between saying I, I'm going to try to remember everything that's happened so I can pull it out of memory and go like, oh, that's right, he did that with Ace-8. Right. Or versus saying I'm going to use that to sort of categorize things. So if he, if he does that, he's probably like this kind of a player who will also do this. It's a little bit of both. Um, so if there, if, if a player does something really kind of strange that I, I, I get to see what his holdings are going to be, I'm going to file that hand away specifically. Um, but I, I really, it's, you know, in a, in a scenario like this, it was a little bit easier to really just kind of remember how everybody played specific hands because we never busted anybody at that time. I mean, we, you know, we only busted a few people because they just didn't want to play big pots. Um, so in, in this given scenario, I was really able to just kind of categorize everybody specifically with their hands and what they okay. were holding. Okay. Um, but being that it was at my home for poker and I knew every single person at that table, I also have a long history of, okay, they play like this and this is what I'm going to be expecting out of them. And, okay. and so then when something would come up, which it didn't really ever happen, um, where they would act kind of uh, counter to what I was expecting, um, I could have filed that away pretty easy. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Hey, Brian, sure. can I ask you a real quick question? If you, yeah. if, if you get three bet from the small or big blind, just knowing they're playing relatively straightforward, regardless mm -hmm. that you'd have position and, you know, assuming um, are uh, more capable player than them, is that just a snap fold? It really kind of depends on their three bet size. Um, if if it's the the small blind and he, who has me covered um, and he makes it kind of just a standard three bet, uh, say going from my 1700 to roughly 4K, and, and maybe, you know, in that range. I mean, if he goes 5K or higher, I'm, I'm probably insta-folding. If he's going 4K or less, I'm probably going to make the call um, because I'm, I, I think I have a skill advantage at that point and also position um, and just see what happens with the flop. Um, if I have Ace-10 suited, I'm probably going to be calling even a little bit more, but the offsuit um, plus the fact that Ace-10 really isn't all that strong facing a three-bet, uh, I'm... I'm going to muck it a lot. Um, it, it just, it kind of, it, it depends on the scenario in that spot, like how I'm feeling. Um, now, if the even older gentleman who has 20 big lines makes that, makes that fire, then I, I, I'm like, well, his, his three bet is the same as a ship and I'm folding. So. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Um, so. Uh, they both, uh, I, they both call it, I went over their stack sizes, right? Okay. Yep. Uh, so the flop comes out and it's, uh, deuce of diamonds, three of hearts and the five of diamonds. Um, not exactly the best flop, uh, for my hand when I'm playing against the two blind defenders, uh, just because a, a lower range is going to hit them, their range more often than it's going to hit my range. Um, given that I'm an early position opener. Um, but at the same token, because I'm really the only one opening and continuation betting at this table with any regularity, regularity at all, uh, it could also potentially hit me. Um, and the fact that they're playing fairly straightforward, it, I'm not too concerned about them 
hammering this flop or hitting this flop unless they just hammered it. You know, they called because they are getting the right odds with, to set mine or something like that, or some sort of big diamond combo. And, you know, and are you and are you thinking that they're not the type of player that's really thinking range versus range? Are they pretty much no. just thinking their hand? So, so I mean, even though you're saying things like you know it's going to hit their range better than my range you kind of know that they're not thinking that way. So they're Correct. probably not going yep. to make a play on you based on range versus range dynamics. Correct. That, that's not entering it, into it, entering into it at all. It's really, if they hit it, I'm going to find out at some point. And if they didn't, I'm just going to take down this pot just like all the rest of them that I had continuation bet on. So you're just never worried about them making a play because of the type of player that they've proven to be? No, no. Yep. Okay. Um, I, it's, it's not a it's not a huge concern now. The small blind that we talked about that has kind of a chip on his shoulder against me. Um, it's possible, and that comes into play in a little bit. But okay, it's it's not a huge concern. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so, as kind of I expect with this slot uh, and them playing fairly straightforward, they both checked me. Um, and here's where I I change things up a little bit. Instead of continuation betting like normal, uh, I decided to check back. Um, there's a, there's a couple different reasons for this one, because it's been so difficult to accumulate chips. Um, people have a tendency to commit more chips on the turn than they do on the flop. And if I hit any kind of hit anything on the turn and my opponent has any piece of it, um, if, if I do hit anything, then I'm probably going to have my opponent beat at that point um, because if I hit the ace, uh, I'm probably going to have a bigger kicker than they are because if they had ace, king, ace, queen, ace, jack, they're probably three betting me pre-flop. Um, if I hit the 10, again, they're likely not going to have ace, 10 there. So then I'm looking at king, 10, queen, 10, jack, 10, maybe 10, 9. Um, and so in either scenario, I have them beat. Uh, so... By checking there, if I happen to hit the turn, I could potentially accumulate more chips uh, from them than if by just betting here and taking it down. Also, uh, I have a couple of different ways to win this hand through draws. Uh, obviously, I've got the straight-up gutter ball. If a four hits, I make a wheel. Uh, and then also the, the backdoor dry, diamond draw. So... Um, I'm fairly confident at this point. I probably already have the best hand. Um, maybe one of them is in there with a, a middle pair, like eights or nine, something like that. And um, if they are, then I'm even happier that I checked here because I didn't want to get check raised off a hand that uh, potentially turned into something big on the turn. Does it change anything if, I mean, does stack, what is, what, does stack size change anything here in terms of uh, your decision to see better or not. If you're if you're super deep, let's say you're both or you're all, you know, 100 big blinds plus yep. and this dynamic played out or if you were at 20 big blinds and you opened and got called and then this flop comes. Do either of those or, or I guess how do those go into your decision? I think that if they were both um, kind of that 20 big blinds or less, um, then I'm probably going to for sure check here because it's more likely with two opponents that one of them actually has something that they're going to get sticky with. And even though um, I've got a backdoor draw, a gutter ball and two overs, last thing I want to do is 
Seabet here and then have one of them shove and then I'm getting kind of the right price to call in a spot that I don't really want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather make the, make the check and hopefully hit something on the turn and then have that same scenario happen. Uh, if we're all super deep, again, I think that's going to be more dependent upon the table dynamics. And if I hadn't just been pummeling them with, <laughs> you know, opens and C-bets all day long, um, then I, I think it's probably I would continue in standard fashion and see that here. Uh, but just given kind of everything where one of them has me covered, one of them's a short stack, they're really just kind of playing straight forward. Um, and I'm not concerned about them making a play at me at that point. I, I, I kind of like in this spot just to check there and, and see what develops. And I'm probably going to take this down on the turn with a, a, continu- a, a, a kind of a delayed continuation, but at that point, cause Unless the card, the turn card right. hits any of us, I'm probably going to fire the turn because they both checked me again, uh, and then I take it down with without any resistance. Okay. So, do you think uh, if you were heads up, you might have C bet on this flop? You go, you're, it's a little harder when you're going into yeah. two players. Um, if I it, again, this comes down to the if I'm uh, only up against the player with the the smaller stack then I'm probably going to go ahead just because I've been continuation betting so much, I'm probably going to check. Um, but if I'm going up against the stack that has me covered, uh, then I'm probably going to go ahead and continuation bet. Um, again, yeah. since they're playing straightforward, it's unlikely at that point that if he check raises me that I'm any good and I'm probably totally crushed. And the last thing I need is to improve on the turn and it's improving to a worse, you know, a worse made hand. Um, so I can find out fairly quickly if there's anything going on that I'm going to get in trouble and I can just take it down right there. If it's the bigger stack. Anybody else? No. no. Okay. Good man. Okay. I, I got a quick question. Um, yeah. Thinking about the backdoor draws that you have, <clears throat> excuse me, that you have, does it change if say there's only one diamond on the flop and the flop is deuce five, six or something. So you don't have a wheel draw. You don't have that backdoor diamond draw uh do you fire then and Absolutely. is it something yeah it's a great so question the, you have your backdoor draws and you're checking because a lot of turn cards help you exactly yep and that's kind of where i was going at the beginning and i, I apologize if it, it didn't come out kind of the way i, I meant it to be but there, there's a lot of it, you know if the turn card hits me at all um and and i and i you know i'll be firing at that point and if one of them comes along, um, I, there's just so much equity I'm getting at the, in that spot. And I'm clearly going to be ahead uh, if I hit anything on the turn that, yeah, I don't want to lose that potential value by betting here and then getting a check raised off of my hand. Um, there's just too much equity to lose. If, like you said, if this is, say, a, a, a two, five, eight flop with maybe one diamond, so I've got literally no draws. All I've got is the two overs. Uh, then I'm probably going to see that here and take it down like I had all the other hands prior to this one. Good question. Okay. Anybody else? Great. That's great, man. All right. Uh, okay. So we all check around and nobody expects me to check there, but I do. Uh, and, uh, the turn is the 10 of diamonds. Um, I don't know that there's a better <laughs> right. bingo card for me at this, right. at this point. Um, you know, so now I've got top pair, top kicker, the nut flush draw. I still have the wheel draw. All kinds of things are going on. Um, 
So I'm, I'm pretty happy at this point and I'm kind of expecting it to check to me again. Um, and sure enough, the small blind does check the big blind. However, uh, that's 2,200. Um, and so I have to give him, uh, some credit at this point. Um, he, with that bet and what he's committed pre-flop and, and what the pot size is, he's committed almost or essentially around 20% of his stack uh, to the hand. And he doesn't really have a whole lot to begin with. Um, and again, he's the 70-year-old kind of stereotypical 70-year-old player. Um, and and so it's going to be rather unlikely that he's going to be putting money in here in really bad shape. Um also, he's not very likely to give it up uh, unless he's just facing some insurmountable amount of pressure and my, my read's a little off. Um, so I, I really had to think about, you know, is he betting here because he made the flush? Is he betting here because he flopped the straight? Is he betting here because, you know, um, he checked the, the flop with a set? assuming that I would continuation bet as I had previously. Um, all of those were very likely uh, in, in my head. Um, I did also give him a little bit of credit for having potentially like uh, sevens, eights, or nines. Um, you see that a lot from uh, especially uh, older players where they will see a flop like this or they'll, they'll call a bet from the, the aggressive player at the table pre-flop with some sort of middle pair. They'll get a low board like this and they, they generally will do one of two things on the flop. They'll either lead out to quote unquote, find out where they're at uh, or they'll check hoping that you continuation bet like you had been along all along. And then they'll shove on the, on the flop. Um, if it if you confuse them by checking, uh, and then one over card comes out, then they typically lead out on the turn, um, like they will sometimes have done on the on a flop. So, um, because that's you know that all of those things are in his range, and I didn't really want to give up the equity in my hand at that point. Um, I felt I could comfortably make a call here and see what what comes on the river. Um, I think my thought process was if whatever comes on the river, regardless of what that river card is, if he fires the river, my 10 is no good. Um, if the river card comes and he checks, I can comfortably check behind because he might still be checking with a hand that has me beat. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to commit chips in a, in a spot where he's checking with a better hand. So um, I figured I was probably making the call here, and if there was any other bet that was folding, but more than likely I could get down, get the showdown against him uh, without having to put any more chips into the pot. I was wrong. Um, oh, go ahead. I was just wondering if um, you said the the big blind you played with him quite a bit. Was his usual betting range like uh, bet sizing less than fifty percent? Because that's what it looks like on here. It's a it's a smaller bet. It's it's kind of as if he's just probing to try and steal it. And yeah. that's how I would read it. So he's he's betting a little over a third of the pot, but you got to remember he also didn't have a whole lot of chips to begin yeah. with. Um, so I think there's a there both of those come into play. And yeah, I agree. That's where I say you know 
I have to give him some sort of credit for having like a mid pair here, just trying to find out where, where his hand is at. Mm-hmm. Um, he also could have a hand like King 10, Queen 10, Jack 10, and I have him beat. And that's where I'm saying, that, uh, you know, on, on the river, then if he checks, I'm more than happy to check behind. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm losing some value from some of those hands, but he's also got hands in his range that have me crushed. And I'll, I'll just take the, the value check behind in that spot. His, his, his bet sizing um, wasn't anything out of the ordinary for him, given where his stack was at and where the pot was at. Um, you know, a lot of players, they don't, they don't think about making sure that their bet's the same size all the time in relation to where they're at. Um, and he's one of those. He's more making a bet in relation to where his stack is at. Um, and the strength of his hand. So yeah, I, I I do say that he's probably putting out a more of a, like I said, a blocking bet with nines, eight, seven, something like that. than he is something huge. I just don't want to be wrong and then end up doubling him up. Uh, okay. Um, so I, I go ahead and just uh, call his bet and then it gets back to the small blind and he tanks for a little while uh, and then fires out a, a check raise to 5,300. Uh, so I had mentioned earlier that he was a player that had gotten his back by making rather large check raises um, with small sets. Um, and those had all been uh, pretty much on the flop. Um, and in this scenario, I had checked the flop. So if he was doing that, same thing or hoping to do that same thing i didn't give him the opportunity um but now here it is uh instead of me being the one that did the betting on the turn it was the big blind um there's a couple things that that i'm thinking about in this spot where he has to be he has to be thinking or at least giving the the big blind somewhere in the neighborhood of at least the same amount of credit that i'm giving him right um it, again it's the stereotypical 70 year old uh, coming out of the big blind committing 20 percent of his stack on this turn card um so when i think about that i'm like all right i don't i, I can't totally discount that he's got a set but he's got to have some sort of decent hand here um whether he turned the flush whether he flopped the set flopped the straight um or you know maybe he's got some sort of top pair, big plus draw, kind of like I do. Um, and instead of playing it sort of passively, like I did to, you know, make sure that I realize the equity in my hand, he just goes with what his, you know, how big he perceives his hand to be. And just says, I'm going to, I'm going to shove this older, older guy out and I'm going to stick it to soda. Um, I don't really know what he was thinking there. Uh, I, we can go back and, and kind of talk about it once it's kind of revealed what he's holding. But um, at, in that spot, I, I just really thought it was kind of odd. Um, and and the biggest reason why I thought it was, or as I was thinking through his hands, his possible range is even though he tanked um, and check raised, um, he had been tank check raising every time with his, with his uh, uh, flop set. And I had the good fortune, and this is where it comes into paying close attention, um, at the table that I was sitting at, 
where I, if I looked up at all, I saw the tournament clock. And so every time he had kind of gone into the tank, just every time I had looked up at the tournament clock, took note of what, how much time was on in that level. And then when he finally acted, looking at it again and saying, oh, it was like two and a half minutes for him to check raise with the essential nuts. Jesus. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that puts me on tilt. Dear Lord. Um, so, but like. It's even, it's even better when it's a $30 tournament and people do that. So. Oh, God. It drives me nuts. Nice Hollywood, Hollywooding. Yeah. Just, oh, I have such a difficult decision right. with the second nuts. Uh, um, okay. So, but anyway, he. In this spot, in both of those times, I've a little known fact. I've never, uh, well, until recently, actually, um, up until recently, I had never called the clock on anyone in the tournament. Um, and even when I finally did, I, I'm never going to do it when I'm not in the hand. I just, it's an etiquette thing for me. Um, I don't do it. If we're at the money bubble and someone's clearly stalling, then I'll get the floor's attention, but I'm not technically calling clock. I'm just mm -hmm. like, eh. um, I just don't like it. And I also think it changes people's perspective. And, and I don't want to have an influence on a hand, especially that I'm not involved in. Um, and I also don't do it when I'm involved in the hand, just because then I don't want my opponent to think that I'm doing it for some strategy reason. No, I'm really just doing it because you're taking too damn long. And we all know it's a major decision already. So anyway. The, the important thing here is I had, I had taken note of how long he had really been tanking when he had the gigantic hand and came out with these check raises. And this time when he did it, it wasn't nearly as long. It was still long, but it wasn't to the point where I was even thinking about calling clock. It was just he was doing it again, but it was slightly different than it had been before. So um, while I was thinking about that, then the big blind, um, who I was really actually the one I was concerned about in this hand, uh, ended up folding. So I think kind of what we had kind of round and round or gone around about is he probably was making some sort of blocking bet there with a, with a middle pair and trying to find out where he's at or some sort of 10 Jack queen Jack, um, you know, put it out there, see where he's at. He found out where he's at and he hates it and he lets it go. Uh, so anyway, so with him out of the way, now it's really just me and, um, our check raising friend here, uh, who's the only person at the table that has me covered and who also doesn't like very, like me very much. Well, and what, what does the bet sizing tell you here? I mean, when he, I think the pot was somewhere around 10 K or whatever, and he effectively raised 3000. Yep. I mean, he, he yeah. can't expect folds. It's probably almost kind of a surprising fold for the big one, but you know, does that tell you anything? Does it feel like it's a value bet? Does it feel like it's just a. What does that tell you that it's such a, to me, a small re-raise? Yeah, to me, his his re-raise size was essentially the same as it had been when he had been doing it with the sets. Okay. Um, so, again, I'm in a spot where I have to be giving him some sort of credit for having a big hand here. Um, I don't like it. I don't want to give him credit for a big hand. This mm -hmm. flop says he doesn't have a big hand. Um, but again, he had been getting in there with small pairs and hitting, hitting sets and then finding the spot to check raise. Um, I think that given the dynamics I have with this player and the fact that it got to the turn before there was a bet, um, that if he actually had flopped a set, he probably wouldn't have checked the turn. 
I think he would have mm. fired. I think he would have been upset that I didn't continuation bet like I had been all day. So he didn't get to get his check raise in that he was planning on. That's interesting. I'm pretty sure he would have fired that block. So you don't see him checking um, twice with the set there? No. Yeah, that's nope. a good. Okay. Nope. Now, a stronger thinking player that isn't holding a grudge against me? Absolutely. <laughs> I got to give him credit for that. Okay. Uh, okay. But this particular player in this spot, I, 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 I think that not 99 out of 100 times or 95 out of 100, if it checks around on that flop and he flopped the set, he's going to fire on that turn because he's pissed that I didn't give him any money on the flop. Well, especially when the third diamond comes too, right? I mean, that's part of it as well. Yeah. He should be, he's, he's not going to want to just risk seeing another another free card and he wants to build right. a pot. So, okay. Right. It, so, it, even right, though, just, oh, go, go, go ahead, ahead, Derek. Go ahead, Derek. Sorry, guys. Um, the 3,100, like Steve had mentioned, like it's the, the pot odds he's given both the big blind and you to call there. It just seems like a really weird size. Was that in line with sort of his, 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 what he had been, uh, three, you know what I mean? Check raising really, I mean, it seems like a really small check raise. It, it is a really small check raise. Um, but yeah, that that's in line with what he had been doing previously. Oh, okay. Yep. It was not um, really from that. Okay. No, it might've been a little bit smaller than normal, but not like, you know, a whole big blind or anything like that smaller or two big like blinds smaller. Tasting sizes kind of. Yeah. It, it, it's it's one of those you know, you know how when you play cash and someone flops a set and you have top pair and you know you say you lead out ten dollars and they they do the check raise to twenty okay well you have right. top set I fold good luck you know um, whereas if they check raise you to forty five you're like oh I'm kind of intrigued maybe you just have a draw right um, so yeah the, there's some merit to that that this check raise is so small but that's the way he had been doing it before. Okay. Um, I think the bigger thing here with him was the timing tell. Mm-hmm. Um, he acted the same way he had acted before, but there was something different about this hand that caused him to act earlier than he had before. Um, and so did you necessarily take that as weakness or because before you were so strong, was. you just noticed yeah, I didn't it? Know, I didn't know what to take it as. I just took note of the fact that it was different. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, and so, you know, because it was different and because the big blind had such little chips behind and because he, the big blind hadn't been getting out of line, um, I had to give him some sort of credit for having some strength to his hand, not necessarily a set like he had before, um, but I also couldn't discount that maybe he just has the nuts here and, and I'm really up against it if a, if a diamond should fall or God forbid an ace, so. Okay, we just uh, have a few. We just have a few minutes left too, but yeah. I don't want to get to the river. But uh, I just want to ask you real quick: if if you don't have the yeah. ace of diamonds, yeah, does, is that a, is that a potentially a fold, or you still think your top pair top kicker is good enough there to see a river card? Uh, I given him, I'm probably going to be calling because the timing tell. Okay, and I, I just I'm, I'm more curious at that point what it means. Um, because then I might be able to see the river cheaply if some sort of scare card comes off. He might check it to me, and then I can check behind and see what he was holding, and it didn't cost me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I will do that a lot, where if I'm fairly deep stacked, I'll make curiosity calls just to kind of file it away for later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think given that I, I'm holding the Ace of Diamonds in this spot, there's just way too much equity in this hand for me to, to fold in this spot. 
Um, and, you, and, or, and you just think there's too big of a chance that he's got a big hand that you're not going to just let's just, just ship it there. let's just three yeah. best ship get it in. You're just too much of a no. much of his range is too strong. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, if I if I didn't have to give him credit for giving the big yeah. blind credit for having a big hand, um, then I'm probably going to play for stacks here. If this if this had gone to the flop, just heads up, and it had gone check check flop, check bet, raise on the turn, then yeah, I'm just shipping it here hmm. and we're playing for stacks. Interesting. Okay. All right. So the river comes five of clubs. The river, river comes the five of clubs. Um, and you know, he quickly, uh, fires out 7,800. Um, uh, if I remember there's like 15,000 ish in this pot at this point, 15, yeah, I mean, like 18, 000. maybe somewhere, somewhere in there. 15, yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, but it was a, it was a quick fire. So again, if I'm going through all the, the hands that I think are in his range, it's set straight flush. And that's rough. I mean, I, am not sure what I'm beating there. Um, you know, the board pairs and given how he had played the hand somewhat strongly at that point, even though his check race sizing was light, um, I had to really be concerned that I was just really in bad shape here. I mean, he could have, he could have, you know, called easily pre-flop with the four or five um, and finally, you know, got some money in on the turn with the open-ended draw, hoping to get out, you know, the, the bigger flush draws. Um, and now he gets bailed out with a five on the river. Um, but ultimately, what what I what I thought about with this, it all goes back to the timing of his bets. Um, when he made his big check raises before, he had tanked even longer than he had on this in this particular hand. Uh, and then when the river comes out, he insta fires um, roughly half or a little bit under half of, of of the pot. One of the biggest tells in live poker on the river when there's a flush heavy board is when who's ever first to act or whoever was the last strongest uh, person in the pot, it's their turn to act and they insta-fire. That usually means they were on a flush draw and missed. Um, you see it all the time. Hmm. Uh, less experienced players, when they miss that flush on the river, they will insta-fire a big chunk. Um, sometimes they'll just they'll, they'll ship it all in uh, if the pot happened to get too big uh, before the river. Do you, th- do you think um, they're doing the- it? And I know it's hard to ask, you know, what's their motivation, but do you feel like yeah. uh, they just don't know what to do? So they figure they better bet, or is it like they're trying to appear really strong or what, mm-hmm. you know, what do you think their actually mentality is in that spot? And then Nike Chad has a question too. Yeah. It's a common, I think it's a combination of, um, they, they, they've committed too many chips to this pot and now they miss their, their draw and they want to get their chips back. Uh, and then, how do I look strong and trying to get my chips back when I'm really not? And so a lot of tells live that you see is people will act weak when they're strong and strong when they're weak. Right. So when someone fires a quick bet, um, it's, it's supposed to look strong. Um, but it's actually, in actuality, it's generally quite weak. Um, so give give Oh, go ahead. And then uh, somebody else had a question, right? Chad and then Rob. Okay. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, from from my experience, when you get that auto bet on the river, 
it's as if the person's already pre-planned it and nothing came on the river to change their plan. So it's usually they don't have too strong of a hand. Yeah, it, generally I would agree with you that the, the river card didn't change their hand. Um, but if, if, if you see like a, a, a snap bet, like, you know, but the dealer puts out the river card and you hear the snap of the cards and then their chips are already there. That and it's a flush heavy board more often than not it's actually they had kind of a weak hand but it would be big with that flush um and they missed the flush you see that a lot yeah i was just gonna verify that i see that uh people that make that quick bet they don't really have anything uh if they had something they would be probably trying taking a moment to try to figure out how much how much they could get value for it or how, what the bet size should be to get what the response that they want. Instead, they're just jamming it in there, hoping to get a fold. Yeah. I, I can't wait for February 2nd, Rob. I'm going to quick bet you so so fast with the nuts <laughs> that your head's going to slip. <laughs> yeah, then I'll pause I know. and decide. Just oh, yeah, I know what Steve's doing. Slow roll your boat. Uh, Jen, <laughs> Jen, did you have anything else with that? Was there another comment that you had related to that? Uh, no, just along the same lines where, you know, the, the insta bet on the river, it just it's a pre-planned event. Um, but yeah, like when the draws don't come in, that's when the draw comes, then they got to think. So yeah. normally it's a pre-planned event. They've already put, figured, okay, I'm firing this no matter what, um, unless some X card comes and it could be that they already have, like he, he could have a boat. Um, on the river. Well, no, they need to think about it. So, no, it, yeah, basically what Brian said is the, the card didn't change the action. The, the bet was already pre-planned and he didn't have a strong hand, but he may, he probably had a hand. Yeah, and I think part of it too, I mean, if, if I'm that player, I'm thinking, Brian, that you're maybe weaker than you are too, because in a sense, your hand has been underrepresented quite a bit. Yeah, you were the pre-flop aggressor, but you checked back the flop. You just called the turn. You're, you're, you're only calling. You know, you're not being the aggressor. Mm -hmm. And so I might be thinking, well, he's not that strong. He's on a flush draw. He's got, you know, pocket fours on a straight draw or, you know, whatever the, the board was for, for a straight draw or something like that. But, you know, I can push him off of here. You know, the, the river is a very innocuous card unless you have a five. If I'm ahead on the turn, I'm ahead on the river. You know, so I'm thinking I can push Soja off of here because he's just being Soja, you know. He's playing as he's got an eight, seven <laughs> offsuit thinking he's going to get lucky or something. He's playing LTO. You know, so yep. to me that's maybe part of it. And so I'm maybe like Chad was saying, I'm already thinking, if this card isn't a scare card for me, I'm just going to fire it in, you know, as fast as I can and look really strong. Yep. Because you're pretty underrepresented here with top top. Very much so. Very yeah. much so. And that, again, that goes back to all along where I didn't want to give up the the value and the equity that I had with such a, a, a strong holding and kind of concealed that, that strength. So yeah. um, it goes, kind of goes back to the conversation at the beginning, how I play ACE 10. Um. Okay. You know, so, if you're going to wrap us up here, Brian, then I got a couple yeah. closing words, but we'll unfortunately. The review uh, quick of what, 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 what he had. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so I, you know, I, I took the, the, the minute to think through it and finally decided he's, you know, he's not as strong as he's trying to represent. I'm going to go ahead and make the call. And as he's flipping his cards over and throwing them at me face up on the table, <laughs> he says, ship it. Uh, oh, so no. Up, because I was taking the time to think through the hand that he had me crushed. He just knows and he's good. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's, he's never losing to me in this spot. 
Um, unfortunately for him, he was holding the ten of clubs and the king of diamonds. Uh, so, nice. yeah, you pipped yeah. him. I did. I did. <laughs> Fantastic. Ship it. <laughs> ship it. And you're like, all right, yeah, ship it. Like I said, he had he he definitely had a grudge against me and was just so happy to beat me in a pot that he, he thought he had it all wrapped up. So so a good, good great hand example. Um, so a lot a lot of lessons in there. What would you say? You know, and you're you're kind of give us a 30, 60 second sort of the absolute key takeaways. I think you've already kind of shared them, but give us yeah. What do we take away from this as rec players that we can apply? Um, pay attention to anything and everything at the table. Um, I was hoping that we would get to the second one tonight, but we yeah. ran out of time. <laughs> well, oh, you'll be back. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> which was an example of me not paying attention and getting myself <laughs> into trouble. Um, and and so really, this hand was all about when I noticed the the difference in time that he had taken, even though he tanked check raised in all of these given scenarios, and the fact that I had been taking notice. Um, and, and and so when he did it in this particular spot. I could tell that something was different. Um, and so not, you're not always going to know when your opponent does something different than they, they have been, what that necessarily means. But the, it, it definitely can lead you to be in a spot that becomes much more profitable than if you hadn't been paying attention. Like if I hadn't known about that, the timing difference and just that he had been tank check raising, I probably just make the fold there and mm. lose, you know, a whole bunch of money that or chips that I otherwise should have should have gotten. Yeah. Okay. Chad, did you have anything else to share there? No, it was just a, okay. a great hand. But yeah, paying attention is the key thing. And uh, I don't know how many times I've played where everyone's on their phone doing whatever, mm-hmm. talking to friends when they're not even in a hand. You just you watch what everyone else is doing. That's the key thing. Yeah. All right. Good stuff, guys. Well, unfortunately, we got to wrap it up there. Thanks, Brian. Uh, thanks to Chad and Derek and Rob and Taylor. I uh, love, love this discussion, man. I just, I just selfishly just love this stuff. So uh, go check out recpokertraining.com if you want more information on what we've got going, a ton of stuff going on there. Uh, also, if you like what you hear, uh, give us a rating review on iTunes. Uh, we'd love to welcome you to the list of those that are supporting us on Patreon. Uh, but until next week, everybody uh, on the panel, Brian, everybody out there in the podcast world, uh, good luck on the felt. Take care. <laughs>